listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Y'all go ahead and grab a seat, church. So good to worship with you all this morning. Hey, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Proverbs. We're going to be there in just a moment, a moment, looking forward to studying uh, with you this morning. Hey, you may notice uh, on the screen, the, the title this morning is called The Money Talk. And, I, and I'm being kind of silly with that. Uh, we could have gone, like I thought of like, Make It Rain or Big Money or Money in the Bank, like all kinds of fun titles related to money. But I went with The Money Talk because I think often, especially in church as believers, we think of, oh man, like the money talk. The pastor's talking about money this morning. And so I, I was kind of doing a play on words, the money talk. Like last week we had the sex talk, you could say, right? I looked at what Proverbs says about sex. And this week looking at what it says about money. But here's the reality. I think that, that attitude, that mindset that says, oh man, the money talk, is actually kind of silly. Like, there's no reason in church that we should get nervous about, oh, talking about money. Because the reality is, God is not against money. Like, not a trick question. Who does all the money belong to anyways? God, yeah, yeah. So this is, yeah, no, no tricks there, right? Like, so this is, we shouldn't be uncomfortable. It, it all belongs to God anyways. Like, God is not, a greedy God. Actually, he, it's all belong, it all belongs to him, and he's kind enough to give us money, to give us resources. So often, I think the problem is we have an unhealthy relationship with money. We have an unhealthy mindset about money. So as we approach the text this morning, uh, something to remember, one, uh, the, I, the idea is not that, you know what, God wants to make you rich and famous, and you're going to have all this money if you do things his way. Like, that's silly. That's not in the Bible. But also the idea that God wants to take all of your money and you're all going to be, we're all going to be poor on the streets, like that's, that's not true either. Proverbs helps us have a healthy understanding of what a relationship with money should be like. And really, I would say it kind of this way, that first it begins with having a healthy relationship with God, and that informs your relationship with money. So the way we're going to look at it this morning is these are, these are what you could call pro tips from Proverbs on money. Pro tips from Proverbs on money. And what is a pro tip? It's, it's a simple idea regarding anything. You can have a pro tip in uh, smoking barbecue. You can have a pro tip in cleaning your house. You can have a pro tip in how to manage your finances. You can have a pro tip in golf. But it's simply something that is incredibly basic, but also incredibly important to thriving in whatever area you're getting a pro tip. And Proverbs helps us with those. That said, I would tell you that what you're going to see this morning as we walk through the text, these are super simple points and probably not groundbreaking whatsoever. But if we would embrace them, they are life-changing. Well, I was talking with a friend this week and said it this way, that if my kids, whenever they leave the house, well, they're only four, so that seems a long ways right now, but I'm sure it won't be that, that long. When they leave the house, if they could walk away and in regards to money, have embraced and live by these three, tru these three truths, it's a win. Like, I'll take that. So, first one, pro tip number one. Are you ready for it? Here it is. 
Money requires work. <laughs> Told you this was crazy stuff. <laughs> Money requires work. It requires hustle, getting after it. Now, I'll say this, disclaimer, yes, there are some people, I don't know any of these people, there are some people who just somehow they struck it rich, right? Like maybe they had some crazy inheritance, I don't know. There are some people like that, but for the average person, which I'm going to guess every single one, no, no offense, but everybody in here, probably pretty average. <laughs> like for the average person, money requires hard work. Turn to, uh, I want to walk through some texts that show you this is a fact of the Bible. Turn to Proverbs chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 4. <clears throat> it says, idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands bring riches. Pretty simple. You're lazy. You don't work. You're not going to have any money. You work. It's going to bring money. Uh, flip over just a little bit to chapter 12, verse 11. Chapter 12, verse 11. It says, the one who works his land will have plenty of food, but whoever chases fantasies lacks sense. So I love the way that Solomon wrote this. He's kind of he, two, two birds with one stone. So remember, agriculture, culture. So he's using their terminology. Hey, you work your land. You do what's been put in front of you. You bloom where you planted. You're going to have plenty of food. So he doesn't say you're going to be loaded. The bank account's going to be overflowing. He says, you're going to have food. You're going to be taken care of, which is what God promises to take care of us. He says, however, if you chase fantasies, you lack sense. So he's, where I said two with one. So not only are you not going to have plenty of food, it's also just foolish. Like to, to not work, to not do what God's put in front of you, but to instead chase these wild dreams of grandeur, which I'll unpack that more in a minute, but like, or do some more application there, but to chase my greatest passion. If you chase those, but don't just work, not only are you not going to have food, it's silly. That's a foolish way to live life. All right, now flip over a little more to chapter 14, verse 23. 14, verse 23. <clears throat> it says, There is profit in all hard work, but endless talk leads only to poverty. So if all you do is talk, 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 but never actually work, Ultimately, you're not going to have any money. And I would even say, even if you have a job, if all you do is talk, but you never do any work, you're not going to have a job much longer, right? Endless talk only leads to poverty. Money requires work. So application, how do we apply this basic principle, basic pro tip that is clearly in Scripture? First point of application, get a job, <laughs> It's crazy, I know. Get a job and work hard. It's amazing to me, like so many people will work hard to get a job and they get a job and it's like, ah, I made it. No, no, you're just beginning the work, right? Like get a job and then work hard. Get after it. <clears throat> Another point of application, choose excitement over entitlement. Choose excitement over entitlement. Man, I, I just, like, I am one, so I can, I can call this out. 
I think for millennials, like this, this is a thing like we need to work on. So entitlement says, I deserve this, right? I, I, whether I earned it or not, irrelevant. I just deserve this because my mom and dad told me I was special, right? Like we got trophies for participating, so I deserve this. Or, or sometimes like you, you do get that promotion and then all of a sudden you feel like, man, I must be pretty awesome. So all of a sudden you feel entitled. Like my, my friend Jack likes to say, unfortunately, that often after a title change comes entitlement, right? You get this new job, this promotion, and now I feel like, man, I'm pretty awesome. No, because money requires work and it's a gift from the Lord to be, have the capability to work, you should be excited that you have a job and work hard at it. Be grateful rather than feel entitled to more and more and more and more. Choose excitement over entitlement. <clears throat> uh, Liz Bohannon, she is founder of Seiko Designs. Um, she wrote a book called Beginner's Pluck, P-L-U-C-K, Beginner's Pluck. Really fun read, but also a really great read in regards to some of the things we're talking about. And just, I wanted to share with you a couple of her chapter titles because I think they're good application for, um, for this point from the text of Money Requires Work. One of the things she says, one of her chapters is titled, Own Your Average. <laughs> I think all of us want to feel like, man, we're gonna be the next Elon Musk, the next Bill Gates, the next, if you're a preacher, Matt Chandler, like we're gonna be the next whatever. And the reality is most of us, I hate to discourage you this morning, but most of us are just average. You feel really encouraged right now? <laughs> most of us are just average. Like most of us are not gonna be filthy rich. Most of us are probably not gonna own our own business or create some crazy invention. And that's okay. Money requires hard work. Another chapter is stop trying to find your passion. I, th I think that could sound funny because especially in the church world, we talk a lot about be passionate about things, but I, I, I think she's right. Too often, we're caught up trying to find what is gonna bring satisfaction, what is gonna bring fulfillment. And the reality is only Jesus ultimately brings satisfaction and fulfillment, amen? Like he's who brings it. So you don't find this passion in the world in some job. No, you build your passion. You, you put in blood, sweat, and tears, and you grow a passion for it. I don't know if like, you'll be able to relate to this super well, but I, I think you'll get the, the idea. Like, I think about um, if you're in middle school, or like, don't be offended, hang in there with me. When I was going to come to Southcrest 12 years ago to be the middle school pastor, uh, before I moved out here, I was still finishing up seminary, and I had seminary friends like, oh man, you're going to be a middle school pastor? Uh, that doesn't sound real great. And honestly, I was excited to come out here, but like being a middle school pastor had not been like my wildest hopes and dreams. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like all through seminary, middle school pastor. That's the, that's the end goal. I came out here and the more time I spent working with those middle schoolers, the more I felt like I had found my passion, but really it was built, right? Does that make sense? You begin to know them, love them. God uses you in whatever your, your career field is and you grow a passion for it. Funny enough, you, if you would have asked me, like literally I had conversations about this, if you had asked me in Bible college or in seminary, what is, what is one thing, I was asked this sometimes, what is one thing you don't want to do? Like what is one ministry role, one job you don't want to do? And I literally told people, 
I never want to be a college pastor. Like college students think they know it all, which you don't really, but like college students think they know it all. They're always, they're always a rotating door. I'm not going to like that. Well, after being a middle school pastor for five years, I had the opportunity to be a college pastor. And at first I was like, I don't know, man. I don't want to be a college pastor. I love middle school students. Became a college pastor. An absolute blast. One of the funnest things I've ever done in my life. Not because I found my passion, because you build it. Put in blood, sweat, and tears. And whatever your job is, you work hard at it, and it brings joy. It brings satisfaction. I, I want to kind of one thought on that. You, she has another chapter called, I'm tying these two together, but she called, it's called Dream Small. And so thinking about build your passion, dream small, I think you can start, bloom where you're planted. Whatever God has put in front of you to do, do that. Thrive at it. Work hard at it. And just be faithful with the little things in front of you. It doesn't always have to be the big, grandiose thing. Be faithful. Money requires hard work. It's not always super fun and exciting. Lauren, my wife, um, when she was in high school, she had the opportunity, it was put before, this opportunity to go to Europe, uh, I can't remember what country, but on a mission trip. And so she was super excited about it. She talked to her mom about it. And her mom said, no. Well, Lauren kept bugging her over and over again. I want to go on this mission trip. Well, finally, Lauren uh, one day was walking out uh, the door to go to Terry Parker High School there in Jacksonville. And she said, Mom, please, I really want to go on this mission trip. And her Miss Donna said, Lauren, why do you want to go on this mission trip? And Lauren, being very spiritual, said, Mom, I just want to share the love of Jesus with people around the world. <laughs> Which Lauren meant that, but also like nice Jesus juke there, right? <laughs> like putting that in there. And Lauren's mom said, very wisely, Lauren, when you start sharing the love of Jesus with people at your high school every day, then we'll talk about you going to Europe to share the gospel. Boom, roasted. (laughs) I can say that Lauren is a soul winner. She did end up going on lots of mission trips. She loves people so well and shares the gospel well. Why do I share that? Lauren's mom had a great point. So many of us want to do the big, exciting thing. And God's like, hey, would you just be faithful and work hard right where you're at? Now, I know I use a mission like gospel sharing example, but that's true with your work life, y'all. So, so many of us want the big, exciting job that what we've dreamed of or we've, we've, we went to college for. And God's like, hey, would you just work hard right where you're at? Would you just be faithful with, with what I've given you? Pro tip number one, money requires work, hard work. Pro tip number two, also crazy, probably never heard this, debt is dangerous. Debt is dangerous. Look at Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs 22. We're going to look at verse 7. It says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. I want to point out, if you look at Proverbs, I don't think you'd be able to argue that it's, it's sin to, to take out a loan or to, to borrow money, but it absolutely warns about the dangers of going into debt. It says, you're going to be a slave to the lender. Some of us, when you're making that house payment year after year, you start to feel like a slave to it, right? It's not wrong to take out a loan for a house, but the reality is it can be dangerous. Become a slave to the lender. Look at 
uh, Proverbs, just a few verses over 26 through 27 of chapter 22, sorry, 22, 26 to 27. He says, don't be one of those who enter agreements, who put up security for loans. If you have nothing with which to pay, even your bed will be taken from under you. Debt is dangerous. You go into an agreement, you actually don't have the money for it. You, he says, you may even lose your bed. <laughs> the things you already own you may end up actually having to give those away because you tried to get something when you didn't have the money. It's dangerous. So a couple points of application, very simple idea from the text, a couple points of application. This sounds like I'm being a smart aleck. I'm really not. <laughs> Quit using your credit card if you don't have the money. If, if you use your credit card when you don't have the money, that's actually, you should call it a debt card, right? Like it's not a credit card. Like I love it on the bank. It's like, wow, you have however, like $15,000 of credit. Like actually that's 15,000 of potential debt if you don't actually have that in your bank account. Like I'm not opposed to you. Like I have a credit card, Lauren and I use it, but we treat it like a debit card. Because if we don't have the cash, then it's just a debt card. Don't have the money, don't use it. Another one, don't get a loan for a car or a house that you can't afford. Even if the bank tells you you can. We have great bankers in this church, some great men and women, but they don't always know your entire financial situation. So just because they say you can afford this much of a house doesn't mean that you actually like, that you have to spend that much on your house, right? Debt is dangerous. You're going to be, as Solomon says, you're going to be a slave to the lender. So if you can't actually afford it, don't do it. It's, it's, it's danger to you. I love what Dave Ramsey says. Death isn't a math problem. It's a behavior problem, right? I can relate to that. You get that little dopamine hit, right? <laughs> when you purchase something, it's a behavior problem. To help us understand the complexity of debt, we're going to watch a quick video. If you're watching the stream, you're not going to be able to see this. We're going to block that out for a minute, um, but we'll be right back. Y'all check out this video. <laughs> well done, right? Well done. Hey, you know, I think why I think that's somewhat humorous to us, we can relate, can't we? <laughs> like it, we sometimes act like it's so complicated, but really it, it, it's simple. Like you don't have the money, you don't buy it. So the like, simple question, why do we do that? If we, if we know debt is dangerous, and this is not complicated, why do we do it? I think for all of us at different seasons, it's going to be different things. I think sometimes it's status. Man, if I have this vehicle, if I have this certain kind of house, if I have these clothes, like, then, then I'll be somebody. What, what, for a believer, what a silly thing. If you know Jesus Christ, you are a child of the King of Kings. Like, there's no higher status. So silly to, like, to go into debt to receive status or to try to achieve status when you already have the greatest status you our chosen child of God. Amen? Like, so, so why choose debt to get people to think you're cool if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? I think for some of us, it's just flat out desire. Like, it's, things are fun. I think all of us have different struggles. I would fall into this category. I like things, right? Like, uh, 
It can be fun to buy stuff. The problem with that is we're choosing a lesser pleasure when we do that. We say often we want you to, we want us to find our greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. There's nothing more satisfying than Jesus Christ. And when we fill up on the things of this world, we're just stuffing our souls full of lesser satisfying things. I've used this silly idea before, but it's like going to a Mexican restaurant, gorging yourself on chips and salsa, which I do love chips and salsa. Everybody loves chips and salsa. Nothing wrong with chips and salsa. But then if you can't eat the fajitas when they come out, that's silly, right? Oh, I'm so full. Like that's not a way to sustain health and longevity in life is just to eat chips and salsa all day, right? Like everybody's going to Alberon's after church now. <laughs> when, if you, when you gorge yourself on just the little pleasures of this world, that they're not necessarily wrong, but like, I'm going to go into debt to, to get these little fun things. The reality is you're missing out on filling up on Jesus. And there's nothing more satisfying than him. The psalmist says that at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Nothing will be, bring more joy and enrichment and fulfillment to your life than just walking with Jesus and being in relationship with him. And don't go into debt filling up on lesser things. I think another reason we, we act foolish and use our credit card or whatever when we shouldn't is we're just impatient. Gotta have it now. I want it now. I love when he says, where would you get this saved money? (laughs) We don't have any saved money because we got to buy stuff now. If we really believe that God is a good God who knows our needs and will take care of us, then we don't have to rush out to buy things. No, he sees my need. He knows it before I know it. He's going to take care of me. Be patient. We serve a good, faithful king. So two pro tips so far. One, money requires work. Number two, debt is dangerous. And this third one, I, I thought a lot about it. I know it's going to be underwhelming, but I think it's spot on. Number three, generosity is good. <laughs> generosity is good. I think in, in churches sometimes, and certainly in prosperity preaching churches, there can be this idea that if you give, if you're generous, you're going to be rich and your life will go perfect and everything will go your way. The Bible does not say that. Like the Bible doesn't say when you give, magically everything in your life will just fall into place. Like I was uh, getting my hair cut the other day and the lady, Elizabeth, cut my hair was talking about, she's like, you know, when I see people driving Jeeps, I just assume they must not have a care in their world. Everything is going right. And I, I drive a Jeep. I was like, I can assure you that's not how it works, right? Like, I think sometimes we treat giving like that. Like, man, people that, or, we, or preachers can treat like, man, if you give, you won't have a care in the world. Everything will go right. That's not in the Bible. It's not a reality. But still, generosity is good. It's what God tells us to do. And there are blessings in being generous. Let's look at that. Proverbs Um, Because we're so close, look at Proverbs 22, verse 9. Really simple truth here. A generous person will be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Blessed. Well, that could mean spiritually, 
physically, emotionally, with your family. It could mean monetarily, but we're not going to name it and claim it. It's just, no, God's going to honor, he's going to bless you being generous. That could look a million different ways, but it's going to be good. He honors you being generous. Look at, um, flip, flip, excuse me, backwards to chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 25. It says, a generous person will be enriched, and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. Notice, he doesn't say, a generous person, if you tithe, you'll be rich. He doesn't say that. I think it's actually better. A generous person will be enriched. What is more important in life? To be rich monetarily or to have a rich life in your heart, in your soul, in your mind? The latter, right? Like how many people have we seen just like they get picked on a lot? I know like in Hollywood, for example, who have money coming out their ears, but their lives are falling apart and they're totally depressed. It's because they're rich, but they're not enriched. It says when you're generous, your life will be enriched. You, you sense the favor and the goodness of God on your life. It says the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. I love what a basic, that's not an overpromise. It's just, hey, when you take care of those in need, you offer them a drink of water, you can trust and know God's gonna take care of you. Like you gave them water, someone's gonna meet that need in return for you. It's good to be generous. One more passage I wanna look at in this. Flip again backwards to chapter three, uh, verse 27. Chapter 3, 27 through 28, it says this. When it is in your power, don't withhold good from the one to whom it belongs. Don't say to your neighbor, go away. (laughs) Come back later. I'll give it tomorrow. When it is there with you now. Man, there's not really a promise there, just a challenge. Right? It doesn't say, you don't withhold good, good things will happen. No, it's just the right thing to do. When someone's in need and you have the ability, the capability, whether you have the desire to or not, when you have the ability to meet that need and be a blessing to them, do it and do it then. Like how many of us, oh, maybe they'll forget. Oh, I can't do it right now. And we hope they'll forget. No, it says do it right then. If you have the ability right then, regardless of your desire, you bless them. You be generous to them. You meet that need. Brian Jones that shared a little bit ago at the beginning of the service about their church plant in San Marcos. One time he was preaching uh, to our college students on a Tuesday night. And his big idea of the message, he was preaching the story of the Good Samaritan. And his big idea was move toward the mess. That's what this is. Your neighbor, your friend, someone you know is in need. Rather than like, ooh, that's a sticky situation. No, no. You move toward the mess and you help meet their need. You be a blessing to them. Not because you're going to get something awesome out of it. No, because it's the right thing to do. It's because it's what Jesus did for us. Jesus, there's no greater example of moving toward the mess than Jesus. In heaven, heaven's riches did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied of himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. Jesus left heaven's throne, came to earth to die a sinner's death 
for us, saw us destitute, hopeless, disgusting in our sin, and moved toward the mess to meet our greatest need of salvation by dying on the cross. When you are generous to those in need, you are imitating Jesus Christ by moving toward the mess, amen? When you're generous, it's a beautiful picture of who Christ is. Christ's love is not stingy. He's not a penny pincher. No, scripture says he lavishes his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and love on us through the cross. When you're generous, you're imitating Jesus. People get a picture of the gospel when you are generous. Generosity is good. <laughs> it's good. Couple points of application on that. Give with no strings attached. Strings attached. God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tithe, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a little bit of money, but God, you gotta hook me up, you gotta bless me. Like, that's, no. God loves a cheerful giver. And I think a cheerful giver is someone who gives with no strings attached, who, who blesses other people with no strings attached. God, regardless of what you do or don't do, I, I'm just gonna give because it's the right thing to do and generosity is good. And you love a cheerful giver. Another point of the application is really building back to the first two pro tips, and that is work hard and fight debt. Y'all, it's gonna be impossible to live a generous life if you don't work and you accumulate debt. To be generous, you gotta work hard, you gotta hustle, you gotta get after it, and you gotta fight debt. Like if you're always in a hole financially, it's hard to have a surplus to give to people and to, to give to the Lord's work. Another point of application, because generosity is good, tell your money where to go. Tell your money where to go. That's a, a Brandon way of saying you got a budget. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not a spreadsheet guy like Jack, our financial business administrator, executive pastor of awesomeness. <laughs> um, he, he's a budget spreadsheet guy. Man, I don't like spreadsheets. But you know what? Because God cares about money and how I handle it, I got to use spreadsheets sometimes. <laughs> you know, there, there's a, so many different resources. I, I like um, the Every Dollar app that you can use to figure out your budget. But here's the reality. To, to tell your money where to go, first you got to find out where it's going, right? It's going to be impossible to be generous if you're like, I have no clue where all the money's going. We got money coming in, but I don't know where it's going. No, find out where it's going, track it, and then budget and tell it where to go. If you wait till the end of the month to see if you have any money left over to give to someone in need or to tithe at church or give an offering at church, you're pretty much never going to have anything because you're going to be like me. You're going to be selfish. And you're going to spend it on yourself. <laughs> yeah, tell your money where to go. Last point of application on this, tell your heart where to go. What do I mean by that? Tell your heart where to go. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your what? Your heart will be also. I wholeheartedly believe, we know from scripture, that God is the one who saves us, he sanctifies us, he does a work in our lives. But also, we, we can strive to know him. 
Jesus is saying, where you invest, that's where your heart is going to follow. It's like just simple, like when we're talking with couples and talking about marriage, you want to, if you feel like your heart is not in your marriage, then you need to invest in your marriage. It doesn't always have to be financially. It could be just through some quality time together. But you invest and your heart kind of slowly follows after. You can tell your heart where to go by where you invest your money. I'll, I'll say it this way. You can't purchase God's love, but you can push your love in the right direction. So I'm not, when I say tell your heart where to go, we're not talking about you earning God's love. No, he already loves you. The cross proves it. Money or not, the cross proves it. He gave his all. You can't purchase his love, but you can push your heart towards him by investing in the things of God, the kingdom of God. I, I want to land the plane, finish the sermon by, by just for a second leaning into this idea of, of giving and even thinking about giving through Southcrest. I don't know about you, um, I don't think I literally thought this, but when I was a kid, I, I did kind of have this silly idea in regard to money in the church. My dad was uh, one of the pastors on staff, and when the, the pastor would say, Pastor Tim would say, you know, we're given to the Lord, and I just didn't know what that meant. So I was like, who knows, maybe Pastor Tim on Sunday mornings after church takes all the, the offering plates and goes back behind the baptistry. Maybe there's one of those like tubes like at the bank, you know, and maybe like he just hits a button and God's like, hello, and sends the little youp, and then he puts the offering in and it goes up and Pastor Tim's like, can I get a lollipop while I'm here? Like, I didn't know. Okay, that's not how it works, okay? There's not a secret tube in the back where we send the money up to God, though that would be awesome, okay? <laughs> that's not how it works. When you, when you give it Southcrest to the Lord, man, it's, what's cool is this, it's really a congregation thing. What do I mean by that? I'll be quick, I promise. Every year, our staff, which is about 80 people on staff, a large portion of that staff spend literally months working through, talking through, yes, praying through what does the next year look like in ministry here at Southcrest? What are we going to do? Pray through it, talk through it. We have committees that speak into that and give us accountability and pray through it. Several, uh, three or four month process. Then that goes before the church, which actually next week it'll go before the church and it's voted on. We had a discussion last Sunday. It went great. It was awesome. Actually, we didn't have much of a discussion because people were just on board. So there really wasn't a discussion. <laughs> people see the budget and next week we'll vote on it. And then as you give, the, monies are the money is used as it was voted upon. So just as an example, when you give a dollar at Southcrest, when you give a dollar, where does that money go? This is, it. I'm referring to this upcoming year's budget, latest data available. 67 cents goes to a combination of ministry and personnel. What I mean by that is the people that are carrying out and leading those ministries, right? So like when you show up on Sunday morning, contrary to what you may think, I don't just get up here and just wing it, right? Like I'm preparing. When you show up for a Sunday school class, there's been a leader, a person on staff, helping make sure that those teachers and directors have their resources and are prepared and ready to go. When you go on a trip, you don't just show up and, oh man, cool, there's a charter bus here. Like no, time and effort went into that, right? And planning that. So 67 cents goes to making those ministries happen and also the staff that carries out those ministries. 13 cents, I think this is actually pretty high for most church, compared to other churches, 13 cents of every dollar goes directly to missions. Think about that. 13 cents of every dollar you give automatically goes outside of these walls 
to other ministries around the world. That's pretty cool. That's awesome, actually. 20% goes to fixed cost. So just as an easy example, keeping the AC running, which amen for AC right now, right? Uh, keeping the lights on, things like that. And even helping uh, pay our um, staff that helps keep our facilities running clean, making sure you have uh, the resources, a bulletin, all those things, fixed costs like that. Our communications team, making sure that our social media is up to date when we have announcements, things like that. I would tell you that 20 cents is more than well used. I don't know if you know this or not, pretty much any day, actually no, any day of the week, at most any given time you come up to this building, you go, there's stuff going on. And not stuff like we're watching a movie hanging out. No, ministry is happening day in, day out. So that, that 20%, or excuse me, 20 cents is really well used. Beyond that, do you just, do you, do you know you are part of an incredibly generous church? Listen to this. Just since January, we're not even to August yet, listen how much money has been given to international missions, local ministries that are not Southcrest, and church plants just since January. I'm not even sure I can say this big of a number. We'll give it a good go. 815117 $117.89. Whoa, that's incredible, isn't it? Like just a couple hundred thousand, like less than, two, how do I say it? Almost a million dollars. <laughs> Above and beyond the budget to ministry. Why do I say that? You are surrounded by generous people. And why do those people give? And you, you are those generous people. Why do we give? Lord willing, hopefully not out of guilt and, and like shame. That's a terrible reason to give and not very fun at all. We give because generosity is good. It's the right thing to do, and it is a blessing. I was talking with my friend Brant before the service, and he was asking about today, and I don't get nervous about a money sermon. It's not my favorite, but I'm not nervous about it because we're inviting you to something better. Like Brant was saying, I totally agree. Being generous, giving is one of the most fulfilling and satisfying things you can do as a Christian to invest in the kingdom of God and see what God is doing. Like to know, hey, I had a part in that just by giving. We're inviting you to something better. Generosity is good. I want to lean in just for a second. There are a lot of younger folks in here. If you, this is pretty normal to, for any church, but it's certainly true at Southcrest. If you look at our budget and you look at, so the way we have, especially so much online giving, uh, they can run reports where we can see how many people are giving in this age bracket, how many people are giving in this age bracket. I don't have a clue who gives, what they give, don't want to know. But we can see age bracket and d demographics of who's giving, that kind of thing. Y'all, the vast majority of the money used at Southcrest, of the resources here, the vast majority of it comes from senior adults. Praise God for senior adults, first of all. But it's interesting, if you look at the budget, I would say a majority, Jack, am I okay? A majority of the ministry resources are spent, are utilized, I would say well utilized, but they're utilized with young families. So think about this. Senior adults giving the mass majority of the money, but who's actually receiving the benefit and the blessing uh, and uh, the gifts of those ministries? It's mainly young families. Man, I want to challenge us. I want to encourage us to change that narrative. 
to not say, man, we're just going to come and take. I love South Korea because they have great programs and resources, but say, you know what? I'm going to invest in what God is doing and not just depend on someone who's not even receiving those same blessings. Does that make sense? When let's, let's be a part of what God's doing. Generosity is good. Don't miss out. I'll close with this. Some of you have maybe uh, heard me share this story, but uh, I've gone to India a couple of times uh, to work with some pastors there. Such a blessing to go there. But worked with a guy named Paul Augustine. He serves in uh, Kashmir, and which is on the border of India and, and Pakistan. And so they have some pretty interesting um, things that happen. There's a rough place to live and serve as a Christian. But Paul was, true story, it sounds like a story a preacher would make up, a true story. Uh, he was going to baptize a man one day. And as he went to baptize him, the man kept his fist up out of the water. So Paul stopped in the middle of the baptism and was like, what, what, what are you doing? And the man told him, I can't imagine this happening in a service, but the man said, I still have someone I need to punch and fight. And so I'm not going to put my fist underwater. So Paul was like, hey, we're not going to baptize you yet. <laughs> Let's, I don't think you get this. So they, they held off, didn't baptize him. And Paul talked with this man and said, hey, like, when you, first of all, baptism is like, that's not how baptism works. But more importantly, when you come to Jesus, you come with your all. Like you don't get to um, segment or uh, just like cordon off like certain parts of your life. Say, well, that's not really for, for God. I'm only going to give this part of my life to God. You don't get to put it in quadrants, so to speak. The man eventually really understood the gospel that Christ had given his all and caused us to give us all and totally surrender to him. And the man did eventually get baptized with his fist under the water. Way to go. That's awesome, right? Why do I share that story? I think some of us, we, we think of it as though like we had our wallet out of the water when we got baptized, right? Like, well, I'm giving my life to God, but uh, but I'm going to hold my wallet a little close to the chest, right? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, this is really for me. No, when you come to Christ, you give him your all. You, you don't get to decide what is yours and what is his. No, it's all his. Jesus gave his all and calls us to give our all. So I just want to ask you, as the worship team comes up, we're going to close out. I want to ask you, do your finances reflect that you've given your all to Christ? Do your finances reflect that you trust Jesus to take care of you? And as they're coming, I'm going to give you just a minute to kind of sit and be still before the Lord. But I want to ask you, maybe you need to lean into one of those three pro tips we saw from Proverbs. Maybe you need to, to get a job, or maybe it's that you need to work hard in what God has given you to do. Maybe it's the second that, man, you need to, to fight debt and begin to, to put the credit card away. <laughs> or maybe it's the third that maybe your finances are okay, but you've not been generous. And you, know, you realize this morning God is calling you to learn generosity. And I would tell you all, listen, don't wait and say, well, one day when I get older, or one day when I can tithe 10%, then I'll give. No, just start with something. The majority of people that give just started with something, with, with anything and see how God changes your heart and yes, enriches and blesses your life as you, as you give. Don't wait, because you'll, you'll never do it. <laughs> Start now. Let God teach you generosity and the blessing that it is. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. 
to learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church.